Well, you know what? We're continuing this series, and and I don't, I am so blessed to be able to study God's word, and you guys pay me to do that. That's really cool. So thank you, because as I read it every week, I get a better understanding of what I think Jesus wants us to know and live, and and the impact of what that can be in our personal lives, in our in our marriages, in our families, in our with our grandchildren and and in our workplaces. I say all that because I was just excited. So anyway, um, you know, we all bring bring luggage from our family into our new families, whether you're starting a new marriage, into our, our relationships that we have. We carry luggage with us from the families that we've come from. And in some ways, that... Luggage can be really just baggage. There's helpful stuff, useful stuff. Some stuff can get in the way. For example, I remember when my brother, who's two years older than me, his, his, his name is Keith, married his wife, Sherry, and they were first in their marriage. And, and sometimes you bring in baggage of roles in relationship that you maybe don't understand, that you don't even get what's going on. Because when they would go to bed at night, it would be kind of a race to get into the bed and they didn't understand what was going on for a couple of weeks. It was creating a little bit of tension. And what they found out, realized, is that, that in, in each of their homes, a different parent did security patrol. You know what I mean by that? The, the person who goes around and, and locks doors and turns off lights. And so in, in our home, my mom did that. She was always the last one. And then in, in, in Sherry's home, his wife's home, his, her, her father did that. So they didn't understand until they began to realize this force that was, they brought, this luggage, impact, was impacting just even their going to bed at night and creating some tension. Now that's a, just a little thing in a small way. But the reality is when you think about our lives, we carry luggage with us and some of that luggage is really baggage that gets in the way of what we want to create because we don't even understand sometimes what that is. Do you know that we learn about how to, to live our life, how to eat, to walk, navigate through life from our, where? Our home. Every one of us. So what it means is that when we learn how to live life, we learn to live according to this place that we've come from. And that place we've come from has some impact on where we're going. And so what's interesting here is, is, is we look at this passage of Scripture, Jesus is recognizing that they have made a statement, and in this question, it, it kind of reveals to him that they're bringing some baggage that he needs for them to be understanding. And one of the things that often people bring into their relationships is the way they deal with conflict. How you deal with conflict in your home, in your origin, and the way that you learned how to do that will impact the way you deal with one another. And I, I called this teaching triangulation. The, the reality is that many times in our home, in our family of origin, um, parents, whether they realize it or not, teach this little thing called triangulation in the way that you deal with conflict. And, and it's really meant to start out pretty good because let's say little Billy has an issue with little Susie and they have a conflict. And what usually happens is one of them comes to mom and, 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 or dad and says, you know, would you resolve this? And, and often the deal that, you know, the parent steps in to do is to create peace, right? Let's get peace in this situation. 
But what can happen sometimes if you don't teach them how to resolve and to work this together, what you begin to develop is a triangulation system that whenever there's a conflict, you've got to go get a mediator, and the mediator comes and brings peace, and you don't learn how to deal with that. Now what happens, sometimes even worse than that, is rather than just triangulation to another person, that person, little Billy, maybe talks to little Jane and his family, and then they create coalitions, and they triangulate this so that they build teams and sides, and one parent against, you know what I mean? You know how that works? And we carry those kind of things into our family. So Jesus had a concern here. And he wants us to look at this. He wants you to kind of look at this and say, what baggage are you bringing into relationships? Are you aware of it? Do you really want it? Does some of the stuff that you bring really help create the kind of family that God longs for you to experience? And as Jesus was listening to his disciples, in fact, one of them comes to them or they come to him with a question, they, he realizes that they're carrying baggage and he needs to deal with this. And they're carrying baggage from not only their family of origin, but they're also carrying baggage from what I would call their family of origin from their religious community. Their parents, the scribes and the Pharisees and teachers of the law and all that, had created a family system that was all about what this question is. It's about greatness being Related to position, not about the kind of relationship that God wants to have among people. So they come with this question, which one of us, Jesus, will be the greatest in your coming kingdom? And in response to the question, Jesus heads to the classroom to begin teaching what I call the fourth seminar of five seminars that you find in the Gospel of Matthew. He realizes that as he is getting ready to go to the cross and to leave these disciples to begin to build and create all kinds of new families around the world, he realizes that they're beginning to base their relationships on a foundation that will not create the kind of things that will create loving, connected families. And so he, he recognizes the baggage and he stops things and he says, guys, we need to head to the classroom, grab a pen and paper. We're going to get into this because I want to teach you about the kind of family that I want you to develop and to create in your homes, where you work, where you have influence in relational settings, in your church and wherever you go. And their concern through the question exposed their hearts and Jesus makes it very clear that greatness in God's kingdom is not positional, but it's relational. He makes it very clear. It's not about power, status, position, influence, external things that control you to be the kind of person that you're supposed to be. It's not about people living about rules. It's much more about this. It's about the kind of relationship that causes people to flourish and grow and experience the freedom of God and to begin to work from their heart, not externally based by rules, but internally motivated by the Spirit of God to be the kind of loving person that moves into relationship that creates the kind of families that God desires. And so if you look at verses 15 through 20 of chapter 18, it's really important that I kind of swing back again and we look at the the first verses from 1 through 14 to understand the context of what Jesus is about to say. Because if you look at these passages of Scripture like I did for many years, they just look like a a string of of stories put together. And and I remember reading him kind of going, well, that's kind of that's interesting. He brings a child and then he talks about, you know, what is it? How does this all relate? But there's a real path to his teaching here. There's a progression. And so to understand this text, let's look at the context. 
And since God's family is not positional, but it's relational, there's some real important truths that we have to understand. And the the very first lesson from verses 1 through 14 is this truth. The church, the family, is the place where you can show up. Now you kind of go, well, that's simple. No, it is to be a place where you can show up fully, 100%, with who you are, all that you are, and your doubts, your fears, your guilt, your sin, all these things can show up in such a way that you are in relationship. And the key word that Jesus seems to say here, as you look at this story of childlikeness, in my mind, is vulnerability. Because relationships are based in the ability to be vulnerable with one another. True intimacy is connected to this sense of vulnerability. So Jesus places a child before him as an object lesson. To make this point, the vulnerability that you see in a child is the key to the kind of families, the healthy relationship that I want you to have with God and with other people. Humility, this willingness to be insignificant and not be the big shot. Trust, this willingness to admit that you don't know, that leaves room for mystery, that finds your security not in knowing so that you can control but in knowing the one who's in control. This idea of being perfectly imperfect as a child without this need to have errors and to, to have a certain act together so that people accept you based on that, but coming just sincerely, authentically as who you are in the sense that you recognize your limitations, you recognize your sin, you recognize your brokenness. That kind of person who comes into this place is the kind of person that's naturally like a child, a child in its healthy form, should be growing. So it's really important that you understand this basis for a relationship in verses 1 through 14 is about vulnerability. Because vulnerability allows intimacy. Think about it for a second. If two people who really want to hug and feel intimate aren't in a place where they're vulnerable, can you imagine? This is what you get a picture of. Can you imagine two people like this trying to get close to be vulnerable and, and intimate? You see, what happens so often when we come into places where we can't really show up and be vulnerable, where we can be open, where we can really receive a hug when it's appropriate, when we can really be in those kind of relational settings where our full self can be there, is what you end up doing is you go into these environments and you, if you're willing to, and you're in this place where you're a little one, where you are broken, you're feeling shame, you're feeling that you're not good enough, you're feeling it not measuring up, and you come into a place like this, and you have to come into a place where you've you, you got to hide and protect, you're not going to be able to connect. And what happens so often in many relational settings, because you know it where you work, you can, some of you are living this way in your marriages. You're like this because you're afraid to get vulnerable. And Jesus begins by saying, you know what, folks, you've got to understand, you've got to be like a little child. And one of the things a little child is, is vulnerable. A little child's open. And so vulnerability is incredibly important here if it's going to produce any kind of intimacy in any kind of family system. So Jesus says, become like a child. Verses 1 through 4. Verses 5 through 10. Then don't take advantage of the vulnerable and humble. If you're going to kind of be my kind of family that allows for intimacy, then don't despise these little ones who are lost and wayward, whether they've made the choices on their own or they've had wounded past experiences that have caused them to make choices that put them in a place where they can't understand and they even choose the same thing over and over again. Would you be the kind of family that, like a child, is open and vulnerable and is one that does not take advantage of that weakness? Because, you know, the person who takes advantage of that weakness is really an evil person. That's why he gives all this, these words about, you know, having a millstone hung around your neck because the person who preys on the innocent, the weak, and the broken, and he says, that happens, that's just plain evil. 
And so he says, not only do you uh, take, not take advantage of those, verses 5 through 10, now he goes on to verses 10 through 14. And I use 10 twice because it's a hinge verse. And he says, don't despise these little ones that are lost. You've got to create the kind of community here. You need to be the kind of family that is willing to look at these people as prized possessions. That looks past their sin and loves them for who they are. Because God looks past your sin and loves you for who you are. Vulnerability requires then safety. You can't go into relationships without this ability to trust. So again, those first few lessons, going back through verses 1 through 4, verses 5 through 10, verses 10 through 14, all show up again. Can I come to this place? If vulnerability allows for intimacy, then vulnerability requires safety. So those same questions are asked again in those verses, verses 1 through 4. Can I show up and let my guard down? Can I reveal who I am, my shame, my weaknesses, my inabilities, my limitations, my lack of knowing the Bible, my lack of really looking good? I don't dress the way these people do. I don't do this. Can I come here and be accepted and be approved in the sense of not because of what I do, but because of who I am made in the image of God? And then the other question is, can I show up and not be taken advantage of? If it's going to be a safe place, I've got to come to a place where I won't be taken advantage of. I've got to come to a place where I'm not merely a number to build a big church to boost the ego of a pastor, some leaders, or some people. I have to come into a family that's not really concerned about that. They're more concerned about the fact that they want to help this person who comes before them. And they are more concerned about creating this kind of relational vision and structure where hearts and lives of people are changed. Am I just a source of revenue for what this family wants to do? Am I here to make others look good? Will I be used merely for another's benefit? And Jesus says, don't take advantage of them. Anybody. Knowingly. Who does that? That's evil. And can I show up without being despised? Can I come into this place without being further shamed? Because you know what? People are going to come in. And and most people come in broken, weak, and wounded. The people that came around Jesus, they knew they had shame. No one needed to further shame them into acting good. They needed to know that they had a father who really loved them. And this father would come in and begin to, through the heart, begin to make changes they could never make. Because the changes that occur in our life are not things that we manhandle through our own rules and external things. You can put all kinds of external pressures on people and conform them to behaviors. But the only thing that transforms your or my heart is the internal pressure of the Holy Spirit bringing about the kind of changes that only he can bring. And it is true not just in your own personal life. It's true in your marriages. It's true with your kids and your family relationships. It's true where you work it's true everywhere the internal pressure is what brings the change the external pressure only brings conformity and so ultimately is this a safe place to be is it a safe place to show up the church jesus says in 1 through 14 is a place where you can show up with all that you are and then vulnerability that kind of vulnerability that allows for a person to show up and be free and to really grow in the Lord is the kind of vulnerability that blossoms in a place of love. It's a place of love. That's why when you, when you, you read in, in passages of Scripture, you see that, um, that Paul says at one point, it, it's so important in Ephesians, he says that, that we be rooted and established in love. It, it, the only way, the kind of stuff that's going to happen, that's going to transform lives, is that through the Holy Spirit in an environment of love, where a person shows up, as they are rooted and established in the security of this love, and it drives out fear, that begins to, to bring about transformation. And in the process of transformation, guess what? Rotten stuff's going to come up. 
In this environment, you guys are talking about the, the greatness being in position and status and power and about rules that, that come and externally conform people to look in a certain way. It doesn't transform life. And what it does is it pushes down all the junk so that people feel this shame, but they never can get real about this shame. And they walk through life with this. And eventually some of them just give up and don't come to churches or communities because they just can't measure up like the, some of the people do. And he says, you know what, if you really want to see change take place, the kind of families that you have to create are the kind of families that are more concerned about the kind of culture you're creating, the kind of culture that is based on this fact that they're vulnerable people, weak and despised little ones coming into their midst. And in their midst, they come and they go, I can show up and I can be vulnerable and I can begin to experience intimacy like I've never experienced before. And I can then begin to know that it's safe to trust. And as I begin to come into this place where I can trust the safety of this love, I can blossom and become all that God wants me to be. And that's, a, that's the picture that Jesus is giving in those first 14 verses. And Jesus also knows this. That when you show up, and you let little ones show up, what's going to surface in a vulnerable place is these baggages that we carry with us that sometimes unintentionally we step on people's toes or, or sometimes we actually intentionally, because of fear, gets us to a place where we react and we hurt someone. We're going to have issues. In a family where vulnerability is, is the key for intimacy that creates a safe place, that creates a place where love really is present, guess what? You're going to see some of the worst of some of the people. And that's okay. Billy Graham says in his introduction to the New Testament book of James, someone sent me this this week. I love it when people send me little things and I go, wow, I could use that. Um, when Christian believers gather in churches, everything that can go wrong sooner or later does. I love how real Billy Graham is. Practical. Outsiders, on observing this, conclude there's nothing to the, to the religion business except perhaps business and dishonest business at best. Insiders, though, see it differently. Just as a hospital collects sick under one roof and labels them as such, the church collects sinners. Many of the people outside the hospital are every bit as sick as the ones inside, but their illnesses are either undiagnosed or disguised. I would say they're denied. It's similar with sinners outside the church. So, he says, Christian churches are not, as a rule, model communities of good behavior. They are, rather, places where human misbehavior is brought out in the open-faced and dealt with. So Jesus says to these guys now in verses 15 through 20, after he sets this, this is the kind of family it's going to be. It's going to have this stuff going on. You're going to live in families like this. You're going to be in marriages like this. Now you have to make a decision. If you are going to be that kind of place that allows for that kind of vulnerability, that really allows for that kind of intimacy, and that's going to happen, you want this environment of love, then he goes on and he says, you need to grab your pen and paper, guys, because my church, if it's going to be like this where people really show up, now it's also going to be a place where people really do the hard work of growing up. That's the second thing he says, really, in verse 15 through 20. As you look at this, he talks about it's all about showing up, but how you do so, and what you don't do, and what God's heart is like, and how he goes, it's all about growing up. You really want to be the kind of church that, that, that God wants to see developed in this place? You really want the family that God wants? You want this to actually impact your businesses? Because I'm convinced this, of this, that stuff that's going on here will eventually come out here, both good and bad. So if you want this goodness to start coming out here in the places you live, then you've got to start to take the truth of God's word and obey it. 
See, Jesus is a realist. He says he's well aware that vulnerability will leave you in a place where you're going to get hurt, you're going to get offended, and you're going to, you're going to be um, in some way bruised by the bumps that come along in life. If you live openly in this kind of community, guess what? It's going to happen. Now you have a choice. What will you do when you're offended? What will you do when someone hurts you? Because basically the ins and outs of a family where people are vulnerable means that someone's going to step on your toe. Someone will react in a way that offends you. I wrote this and I just, I really, it just made sense to me. In the course of spending time together, someone will not be Minnesota nice. Or maybe that will just be the problem. They will be Minnesota nice. And that Minnesota nice will create a community of niceness but not authentic, connected relationship where deeper heart healing takes place. Because people are willing to do what Jesus commanded, and that's do the hard work of growing up when you create a community where people show up. Paul says in Colossians 1, 28 and 29 that his whole life goal was to grow up and to help others do the same. I've kind of been in my own heart and mind been saying for the last number of months, one of my heart goals is to have people show up and to help them grow up. I want to learn how to show up with my sin and ask forgiveness when it happens. I want to take ownership and responsibility for it. And yet at the same time, I then, as I take that, I want to grow up and do the kind of things that create the kind of family, the kind of relationships that are going to bring the supernatural life of God through us. Paul says, we proclaim Jesus so that we may present everyone mature, perfect, grown up in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. You know what, folks? Jesus is making it really clear here. When people create a community where people can show up, staying well connected then means the hard work of growing up. That means you have to do the hard work of when someone stubs your toe, you have to come to an understanding where you go, you know, is that purposeful or intentional? If not, then I don't necessarily need to do something about it. But if, if it's, and it felt like that and I can't let go of it, then I, I can need to do the hard work of, of growing up. I gotta present this. I gotta deal with this. I gotta not let this be a place where it's gonna be Minnesota nice. And I was thinking about it. Whoever said relationship stuff is easy? Anybody? Who? Who went around telling us that living in a family is a simple thing? I mean, whoever, however, did we come up with this idea that when you organize people together, it would all be fun and easy? I, you know, we have to resolve in our hearts like, like Paul did, commit in our hearts like Jesus calls us to, and then be obedient to the fact that when things happen, we have to grow up and we have to move into this place where we don't take the baggage that we've learned. We take this new luggage that Jesus says you need to have if you're going to have this kind of community where people are really vulnerable and show up so that in this kind of community, through this context of love, you then begin to move into relationship with people so you keep those relationships well connected so you can grow up. And it makes an impact not just on your life and on that life of that person, but it affects the whole community. Because when you don't handle those things the way that God says, that Jesus says, it does impact the whole community. And so he makes this point really clear. So verses 15 through 20, you never thought I'd get there, but here we are. Okay? Jesus knows that it's hard work and knows that intimacy is rooted in vulnerability. 
And he knows that someone's going to get hurt. So he says, if your brother or your sister, verse 15, sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. I love the heading in the message because the message has a little heading before this that says, work it out between the two of you. That's a pretty simple charge right there. You've been offended. You've been hurt. You need to decide, is this something that needs to be dealt with? And you know what? If you harbor it, you hold it, you're talking about it a year from now about someone, guess what? I don't know if that's been healed. And so Jesus says, work it out between the two of you. And it takes guts to live this way. It, it's hard work. It's, it, honestly, folks, it's much easier being Minnesota nice. It requires courage for people to face one another. It, re- it requires courage in a marriage, for instance, for one person to find their voice and to say, I don't care if this is going to make them angry or they're going to be punishing if I share this, but this is the truth. It takes courage on this person's part and it takes love and the ability to listen and not have to be right to be able to get to the point where they listen and hear. And, and, and you know what? Some situations, because of the way things are connected, you need to bring in a mediator. That's what Jesus says. It's, it's therapy, counseling. Bringing in someone else to help in a peacemaking situation is all helpful and good. There are times to do that. But what God wants you to do is he wants you to be in a place where you stand up and you share your voice. And you're also in this place where you're the receiver of it. And and, and, and when something is shared, you put your hands out here, you hold it and you say, is this true? Is this false? Could it be questionable? And you pray and you go to understanding and you work through it because in the process of working through it is not so much that you've won is what Jesus is saying, but you've actually developed relationship at a deeper level than it ever has been before. And being humbly loving, direct and honest forces you to look deep inside yourself. But I'm amazed, having been a pastor of churches, having myself lived in unhealth and continue. I mean, you don't also just get healthy. Healthiness is, we all know, like physically, it's just constantly maintaining it. So growing in health and in saying that, I'm just, in trying to grow into health, I'm amazed at how much actual hurt and perceived offense is just stuffed and brushed aside. There are a number of common tendencies that we learn, baggage that we carry from our home that we use to avoid. And I want to say say this very clearly. We use to avoid the hard work of being obedient to what Jesus says. We build a wall. We get polite. We're workable. We're emotionally distant. We're protected. And we live in communities where people are Minnesota. And I say, how are you doing? We're real civil. Or you get to a place where a person can get hurt and their reaction is to grab a club and they, they, you know, it's a tooth, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth kind of philosophy. I'm going to get back. And sometimes you don't get back directly. You in very indirectly sneaky ways you get back. And you learn those things where? Sometimes people and many people, and what I call this message is, is teaching about triangulation, is sometimes people do just what we talked about. It's little Billy and Susie get in a fight and they bring in mom and then eventually they never learn how to work this out themselves. So they get mom, they get dad, they get coalitions, dad's on one person's side, then they get family members. And then in life they learn how to do this and they get in a fight with one of their friends and one of their friends has an issue. They tell their other friends, they build a coalition. So this person now builds a coalition and it causes all kinds of what it reveals is jealousy and and anger and strife and it results in division. And that happens all over the place in our lives because we won't walk in 
what Jesus calls us to do, creating a community where there's vulnerability, where we can truly show up, and then doing the hard work of growing up, which says, i got to deal with this because what I'm not going to do is create coalitions around me and my pain and my hurt. And Jesus says, if a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him and work it out. So here's what Jesus teaches. It's a command and it's also a commitment. It's not optional. He says, he sets forth a process, and I'll walk through this process very quickly. First, if it's safe, if you feel you can, sometimes you can't, you need to actually get someone to go with you. But if it's safe, go alone. Work it out between the two of you. Secondly, Jesus says, if not safe or you're feeling not understood or you've worked it once or you've tried it a couple of times, go with another, someone mature who is objective and won't take sides and will work through the issue with you. Third, if this offense, says Jesus, is of such magnitude, because he's talking about little ones who have been vulnerable, and it is an offense that is not just merely a misunderstanding, but it's an actual um, sin. It's an actual sense of, of, of hurt being done against someone, even if the person isn't aware and not consciously doing it, but they continue to do it, have no insight around it. It says, in a sense, Jesus says, you need an intervention. It's not much different than what we see in, in, in the recovery movement, where uh, intervention occurs. And he says, third... If this offense is of such magnitude that it violates healthy relationship and it's destructive to the family or entire community, then bring the community or family in on it. I want to get to this in a second. Not to shame them, but shame will come up. And it might be used of God, that embarrassment of it, to change the heart. But there's a whole lot of reasons around it. So first, let's go through these verses. If a fellow believer hurts you, go to him and tell him, work it out between the two of you. And if you listen, you've made a friend. The goal, again, is not to be right, but to be in relationship. Okay? And you might walk out of the relationship and go, we just don't see it the same. But that's okay. If this doesn't resolve it, Jesus says, bring a couple others with you. I like the way it says it in the message. If you won't listen, take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again. And that's really kind of what it's about. It's, it's the ability to have someone objectively stand outside and go, you know, well, I don't know if they really intended that. Someone who's gifted in being able to really see and understand. The NIV is really closer to what's going on here because it really points back to the Old Testament. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that, and then in quote, every matter, uh, quoting the Old Testament, every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. The idea was that in that day, in, in the life of Israel, when it was being created as a community, when things would come up, especially things of more of a legal nature, then you would bring someone so that you have these witnesses to establish what was really going on. Now, in the case, this is the third part here. Now, in case there truly is a breach of relationship, a violation of such significance against someone, something clearly that is destructive to community life that creates a lack of vulnerability because of the sin or the actions being done, Jesus says there's another step that needs to be taken. He says, if he still won't listen, tell the church or the family. You've got to understand that Jesus is talking about the church. He's not thinking about churches 2,000 in size or 1,000 or 300 even. He's looking at assemblies, these small gatherings of the family of God, more like an intervention, people who are closely connected to one another. And if you won't listen to this, the assembly, this gathering together of these followers 
around this person. You'll have to start from scratch, says the message. I like the way it says it. Confront him with the need for repentance and offer again God's forgiving love. It's important what Jesus is pointing out here is you need to do two things. You tell, you treat this person like he says, almost like an unbeliever, understanding they just, they've been told about the fact that there's this, this um, spirit that comes in and changes and transforms our life and enlightens us to understand that we want to love someone and not hurt someone. And, and you begin to understand that and you have a transformed heart. But if, if a person seems to be walking this way, but they don't, they don't own up and they won't see it, You've got to treat them like someone who doesn't have any understanding. You treat them like an unbeliever is what he's saying. He's not saying this to shame. He's just saying this reality. I've been in interventions with people who have had um, drug addiction or an alcohol addiction. I've had to be a part of those. And it's the most amazing thing. People purposely don't come to shame. They come and they tell them how much they love them. And they talk about the consequences of their behavior upon their life in such a way that when you share vulnerably the pain that's been occurring together as a group, it often brings a person to a point of just complete repentance and a point of enlightenment and a desire to change. There has been cases, and I've been in cases, where that has happened, where the person looks at you with anger and still won't change. And then at that point, you have to understand, they don't have understanding. Jesus is saying, they're acting as one who has no understanding what it means to live in this life that comes by grace, that has been transformed by His love, is now impelled by a loving motivation through the Holy Spirit to fulfill all law, the rules, rather than to have to comply to them. So you have to move them to a place where they have to comply to some rules. And what you do then is you treat them with this in this way. You also recognize the second thing is you have to protect the little ones, the weak ones. Because if this, the actions of this person, let's say, as I've been in situations with an alcoholic husband, would say, is creating such chaos and creating such pain that the family has to actually move away and have them move away from the continued pain that's occurring. Does that make sense? And that's what Jesus is kind of saying here. In this sense, he says, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I truly tell you that if two of you agree on earth about anything to ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, again, hearkening back to the Old Testament, there I am with them. This is what Jesus is saying here. He's using an old understanding of the Old Testament. When the judges and elders of the people of Israel came before a person, they had an intervention that took place, and that person would not change. He would then say, those judges act in the sense as the court of heaven, and they, in this sense, bind, they ratify an agreement that's been made. That's what he's saying here, that when, when people come together in that sense and they in all love and they come to bring about transformation, they come to bring about change in this vulnerable community with little ones or a weak that you come to help protect. There are times you have to just kind of set them aside and help them understand that they don't understand and treat them like one who needs forgiveness all over again. At this point, what Jesus is talking about is heart change. The kind of change that will lead to life. And Jesus knew that a vulnerable life in an environment of love, not control, but where there are safe relationships where the image of God and all its creative power can shine in the hearts and lives of people, can also be a place where we're going to need to work really hard on relationship and we're going to have to do all the things you need to do to create this community and keep it a place where this kind of life occurs. That's my hope for this body.
That's my hope for my life. That's my hope for your life. I think that's Jesus' hope for you. I think some of you are going, man, I would just love, I would love in my own marriage to be able to find my voice and to say, I've been living like this. I would, I would love to be in, in an environment where I can come in and, 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 and truly be like this in a church family. I've never found that. I read last week a couple letters of some people who, who shared about the fact that they've come here and they felt they could actually come with who they are and show up with who they are and how incredibly freeing that is. But the reality is at some point someone's going to stub their toe. Someone's going to bump and bruise them. Someone's going to do something. And are we going to do the hard work? Are we going to encourage that person to do the hard work of staying in relationship? Now, I want to kind of conclude where I started. Because I think this whole idea of triangulation is an important thing to understand. And it's what I want us to work specifically on as a church family. Because I think churches all around, I didn't say the Twin Cities, around the nation, but let's just say here, are about Minnesota nice. And I think we've learned these triangulation coalition kind of patterns that just destroy the kind of intimacy that God longs and wants. And that kind of pattern that is triangulating and strangulating the church reveals and gives birth to all kinds of sin. Gossip, hatred, self-pity, self-righteousness, division, and strife. It creates pseudo-intimacy, not real intimacy. And the life gets sucked dry. And you know what? I think we learn it often in our families. And I'm not blaming parents on this. I'm just giving you some understanding. Because the goal of parents is to teach what I call positive, healthy communication patterns. And in many places, that doesn't happen because they haven't lived out the command of Christ because they've just been carrying baggage from one generation on to the next and they bring it into the churches, they bring it to everywhere we go. So bringing it back to the beginning of the message, let me just share with you, here's the problem, and I'm going to conclude with this and hopefully this makes some sense. There is conflict. Child A has conflict with child B. There's a sense that Billy and, and Susie are having a fight. They're young, they're little Mom either rushes in or, you know, Susie comes running to mom, and mom is the mediator. So now we're in step two. They couldn't work it out. Step two takes place. The mediator comes in. And as a parent, you come in, and one of your goals, and it's not a wrong thing at all, is to create peace, right? That's a good thing. That's not your highest goal. We've been, we've been, we've been told a lie. Your highest goal is to help them over time as they grow a little Billy and Susie to get to a place where they can begin to manage healthy patterns and deal with the conflict in ways that they treat one another with honor and respect and love and begin to work through those things when they occur. So what happens often is child A and B, Billy and Susie, have a problem. They bring in the parent. Parent comes in. Parent seeks to bring peace. Your goal, our goal as leaders, our goal as people is to do what Jesus said, is to teach people, is to do all that we can in our understanding to live this vulnerable life and to know that when hurts and bruises occur, our goal is to help people work this out in a healthy way. And it will mean at times you have to bring in someone from the outside to maybe sit down and help you negotiate it. That's why I just encourage you. I don't care what it is. If it's in your marriage, bring in a therapist. Um, find someone who can come in and help you begin to know. But the goal is not to get through the problem. The goal is to learn how to do this in a healthy way. And then what happens with, you know, there are times. 
Parents step in, they teach them that. And then there are times, this is the third part of it, where um, little Billy's about to kill Susie, right? And, and you've tried to negotiate that, and there still isn't peace. And so what you have to do at times is when little Billy won't have understanding and insight, you take little Billy and you put Billy in a little what? Timeout chair. What's the purpose of that? The purpose is that at some point, Billy, as he settles, will begin to understand, have insight, and, and come to a place where their heart is brought about and change. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's really as simple as that. It's creating that kind of community that just does healthy things and creating relationships so that when people come together, they experience not Minnesota nice, but the life, energy, power, and all the goodness of God through the goodness of His people. I'm going to ask you to just bow your head. Father, it is really clear to me that I've um, learned patterns that I build walls or I will grab a club or there are times that you just want to build coalitions. And you triangulate and strangulate the very life that you want in this body. I speak by the authority and power of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would break that triangulation and that you would raise up within our hearts as a people, as a body, a desire to do the hard work of growing up and creating an environment where people can show up. If you're in that place and you're just saying, God, there's some things I need to deal with. I need to get real with, you know, maybe a spouse and I'm just really afraid about it. And I want to pray for you. Or if you're in a, a work environment where you've, you need to sit down and you need to get real with someone. Or you're here at church or someone in this community that you just go, you know, I've been harboring this. And I, it's time for me to quit denying this and avoiding it it's time to get obedient i mean we're talking about obedience here folks we're not talking about well this sounds good that's well maybe no this is obedience lord jesus you know the hearts of people here you know there are people who are struggling with some things i pray in the name of jesus by the power and authority of jesus that you would send your holy spirit to these people whose hearts are raised before you hungering for this kind of life and there's people all around this community, God. I pray you would draw them to this place or any place, God, that seeks to create this kind of culture, this kind of family, this kind of place. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.